and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh, and I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com, joined, as always, by my trusty partner, Michael Bauman, also a Ringer writer. Hello, Michael. I've been elevated to trusty partner. That feels good. Yeah, we've been doing this for a few months. I trust you. I trust you, too. Good. So before we go on, I just need to give a quick shout out to the hidden hero of these playoffs, who I'm afraid has not been recognized for his or her contributions to October. And that is whoever is doing the stats on the Dodgers center field screen. There is a a brilliant trolling attempt going on here. I don't know whether you noticed this, but... You know, usually the stats on the center field screen are just the season stats, maybe the series stats in there. Sometimes there is a boring fun fact in there, usually positive or neutral. But what whoever is running the Dodgers screen is doing is just brilliant. They are putting negative stats about the Cubs hitters up there when the Cubs are hitting. So, for example, Addison Russell's center field screen says, during the regular season, hit 115 versus the Dodgers. Chris Bryant's says, hit 221 in September, October of the 2016 season. They really had to stretch to find a negative Chris right. Bryant. That's, that's tough, though. That's... <laughs> ben Zobrist hit 189 with runners in scoring position and two outs during the 2016 season. Javi Baez hit 211 versus lefties with runners in scoring position during the regular season. That's going a, a little, little too deep, possibly. But Albert Almora hit 100 as a pinch hitter. And lastly, at least among the ones I saw, Jason Hayward in 2016 hit 229 versus righties in the second half of the season, which is a weird Plus one. Plus, they, they probably <laughs> just put his slash line up. I know, that. right. You could just put he hit 230 <laughs> against everyone in the full season. <laughs> so that one's doing a little more work than it probably had to. But I applaud the effort. I don't know whether That's this great. is— That's I, great. I don't know. How, how did you come to be aware of this? Someone took a screenshot and and posted it online and I saw it and I'm glad because I wasn't in the stadium and I would have hated to miss out on this. So as of press time, podcast time, I have not been able to ascertain who has done this. I don't know if it is a rogue scoreboard operator. I don't know if this is Andrew Friedman's latest devious plan to help the Dodgers. I don't even know if this is helping the Dodgers. Maybe Addison Russell saw his hit 115 versus the Dodgers stat and it inspired him to hit home runs on back-to-back days against the Dodgers. So for all I know, this might be bad. This is the equivalent of the columnist who writes the hit piece and then they post it in the clubhouse and they're seeing it every time before they hit. But I like it. I approve of teams trolling each other, and this is an excellent implementation of that. So I salute you, whoever you are. Could not agree more. (laughs) Okay. So later on in this episode, we are going to talk to one of our Ringer colleagues, Rob Harvilla, about Cleveland pennant fever. He is our man from Cleveland, so we'll be talking a little Indians in that segment. But first, we are going to do a draft. You and I like doing drafts. This draft is going to be an inclusive one, I think. We are going to, now that we are down to three remaining teams in the 2016 season, we're going to talk about which 2016 playoff teams we think are most likely to be back in the playoffs in 2017, 
And then as a bonus, we're also going to draft which non-playoff teams from this season are most likely to be playoff teams in 2017. So we are each going to take five each. So we'll, we'll each, we'll draft all of the 2016 playoff teams and then we will take five non-playoff teams each. And that might be tough. <laughs> Looking down the list, it wasn't that easy to come up with them, but I have prepared, as always, for meaningless drafts. I do way too much preparation and make a spreadsheet and everything. Oh, you made a spreadsheet? I, I wrote down 20 abbreviations on a, on a, <laughs> on a notepad. <laughs> okay, that's all you need. Yeah. So we have to determine draft order here. Oh, yeah. You have okay. an idea. So I, I have done some preparation for this. I'm going to ask you to guess whether Tom Glavin's career high in innings pitched is over or under 250. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to say over. You are wrong. I am Ugh. I am staggered. How close is, was he? Uh 246.2. So he mm. he got to 243 times, he got to 239 another time beyond that. John Smoltz got over it I think twice. Greg Maddox got over it six times, but Tom Glavin for whatever reason was just he was the weak link of that that huh. legendary Braves rotation. I could do, by the way, if yeah. we want to stop covering contemporary baseball <laughs> and just do nineteen nineties Braves pitchers podcast for you know <laughs> from now until forever, I am down for that. Yeah, maybe an off season idea. All right. So uh you have the number one pick and that could be a, a pretty significant victory for you here because it, I, I it seems so. like there is yeah, a, there's, a pretty there's clear an number, obvious one pick. number one pick. I'm gonna pick perhaps to nobody shock the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. So let me ask you this about the Cubs, since the Cubs are the best team in baseball and there doesn't seem to be any reason why they would stop being that in the foreseeable future. Let's put it this way. I know that Russell Carlton at Baseball Prospectus has done some research that shows that the current year's winning percentage essentially loses all of its predictive power about four years into the future. So if you just go a few years into the future, we know nothing, more or less. I think yeah. there's there's still some slight correlation just because, you know, teams that are in good markets or tend to spend a lot and, and that sort of thing is persistent. But for the most part... There's just so much turnover and so much up and down that for most teams, you really can't say anything with any confidence three or four years into the future. So how many years would you have to go into the future before you would give the Cubs a less than 50% chance of being a playoff team? So that's a that's a rough question because I mean, it's a tough division because the you yeah. like the Cardinals out of that division and... The Pirates have done pretty well in recent years, but also it's a young, like it, in addition to having won 103 games this year, it's a young set of position players. It is the, I think we'd call that the best front office in baseball as far as, as we know. And they've, you know, the ownership has Trump donor money. So, yeah, right. and beyond that, like they're getting Kyle Schwarber back. They're uh, number one pick the year after Schwarber is Ian Happ, who is a switch hitter whom I've loved since his days at the University of Cincinnati, who also shockingly has multiple positional flexibility. I might, I don't know, I'd go probably five or six years before, like they're going to, yeah. they're going to miss at some point. Right. But I, I might go as far as six years before 
I think they've got a less than 50% chance to make the playoffs. I mean, it's the pitching is, is going to be the thing. If they can replace John Lackey getting old or Kyle Hendricks, some, you know, the league figuring him out or, mm-hmm. or Jake Arrieta leaving for free agency, that's going to be the issue. But I mean, they've got position players as far out as I can predict that there will be an earth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So you may have won this uh, meaningless draft right then and there. And it all came down to Tom Glavin's yeah, innings total. Yeah, because I, I uh, <laughs> you know, selected the parameters of the draft order. So. <laughs> right. All right. So I can't take the Cubs. I'm going to take the Dodgers, I think, just because they have a lot of institutional advantages. They are the team that spends the most money. They, If the Cubs don't have the best, smartest front office, at least as far as we can tell from the outside, then the Dodgers probably do. And they have young guys. They still have a, a pretty impressive farm system. And they're just a good team. So they're losing some guys. You know, Kenley Jansen's a free agent. Rich Hill's a free agent. Joe Blanton, Justin Turner. But there's no reason to think that the Dodgers can't outbid just about anyone if they feel like it or go get some other guys. So I will go with the Dodgers. Okay. They were a little, they were a ways down on, on that list. I think I'm a little less high on the, the Friedman front office. And you just mentioned like. Even after the scoreboard stuff? Uh, well, like I like the, the you know the the Friedman front office. If in fact they are behind the the scoreboard stuff, but in terms of putting together a winning team, like you mentioned, like four or five holes that they got to fill in a yeah. in a seller's market for for such things. Right. All right. I'm gonna go with the Boston Red Sox. It's a okay. It's another team. I mean, it's young. They're position players more position players than they know what to do with a lot of great drafts in recent years, a good front office. And I think more importantly than good, just under Dombrowski, a front office that will not pivot to rebuild, like that will go all in. I feel like to, to make the playoffs again next year. I mean, David Price can't be any worse than he was last year. And it's another team with, with a ton of money. I think they're, they're the American League's version of the Cubs, which is ironic considering how the Cubs are overcoming, you know, supposedly overcoming this this great hundred year deficit and World Series, blah blah blah. And we've been there with the Red Sox, and you know, yeah, comparing Red Sox and Cubs young cores feels... is a fun debate. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think they were the best team in the league this year, and a lot of that success was built on good young guys who are going to be under control forever. Obviously, losing Ortiz hurts, but they should be able to weather that. They're going to, I mean, but like, he's a greatest David Ortiz was. He was a DH. You can find a a DH. You know, you can find a hitter anywhere. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So, with my next pick, I suppose I will take the Nationals. I think Bryce Harper will be better. They're losing some guys. I mean, every team is losing someone. Wilson Ramos and Mark Melenson are free agents, but. They can plug in Giolito. They can plug in Reynaldo Lopez. This was a really good team, and most of the reasons why it was a really good team will still be on the team. And it hasn't been a an extremely competitive division lately, and I'm not sure it's quite at the point where it will be. I could see a few years down the road this could possibly be a powerhouse division, but I don't think it will be there yet in 2017. So I will go with Washington. I agree. I think the division's easy. I think Giolito could be truly special and mm-hmm. uh, a better Harper and a, a healthy Strasburg will be. Yeah. I mean, the, the Nationals won 90 odd games this year and, and right. they should do 
just the same the next year. I'm going to mm-hmm. go with the the Texas Rangers. That's another team Ooh, with the, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm <laughs> possibly the last pick on my board. Really? Okay. You went way off the board with the Dodgers. I'm going to go way off the board with the Rangers. I think a full right. year Luke Roy is going to mm-hmm. going to do them do them well. They're going to get Hamels, they're going to get a full a full year of a healthy you Darvish. I think that they stand poised to get a lot more out of Jerks and Profar, Nomar Mazar, and Joey Gallo than they did this year. And I think most important is the back end of their rotation behind Hamels and Darvish was just absolute garbage this year. And mm-hmm. you can't go get that number one starter uh, in this year's free agent market or trade market, but you can go get a three or four. And I think if you get a competent three or four starter, that could be just a, a sea change for the for the Rangers. I like that front office. I like Jeff Bannister as a manager. I like the U25 talent they've got. I'm really high on the Rangers going forward. All right. I am not, I think. I, but there is a lot to like. There's Hamels. There will be a full season of Darvish. There will be a full season of Lucroy. There's still Beltre. There's still the young up-the-middle infield. They're losing a few guys. Yeah, I mean, if if they don't re-sign Desmond, they don't replace right. that production, then that can mm-hmm. be a big hole. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much talent there, and they've traded so yeah. much away, and there's still so much left. Yeah, I mean, I think the farm system is thinner than it's been in quite some time because of some of the moves they've made and because of players they've promoted. So I'm not sure that the next wave is there in the way that it has been very consistently for the last several seasons. And you mentioned getting more out of Profar and, and Gallo, and maybe that's the big question. Maybe that's where we differ. I, I'm i not confident that they will get much more out of them. It's certainly possible that they will. And I love Joey Gallo, and I hope mm-hmm. he succeeds because I want to watch him be good at baseball, but not convinced that that will happen. So I think those guys are the big volatile aspects of the roster, and if they blossom as they have been expected to in the past, then I think the Rangers will be fine. But if they don't... I yeah. think Mazar is an, an underrated yeah. place for mm-hmm. improvement, too. Because, I mean, just watching him hit... Like he's got, he's got a little bit of this, he's got a little bit of the Joey Votto's around him. And I think uh-huh. that just because of that hot start that he got off to and the hype that I wrote a feature about him when he was on that hot start and probably contributed a little bit to, to this hype, but mm-hmm. you know, he was not very good over the, the entire course of the season. And like, if he's a, a 350 OBP guy with even moderate power in that ballpark. I mean, he could be absolutely special. So I think the young talent did not actually perform to to expectations. So I realize I'm going out on a limb a little bit, but... Yeah, and we haven't mentioned, of course, that the Rangers were just historic overperformers of how good their stats said they should have been this year. They were incredibly clutch. They... Just, you know, they did a they lot of never, things that the one run record. They never felt that much like they never felt that 2007 diamond backy to me. To me, they did. I, I mean, they had trouble outscoring their opponents. <laughs> they just, you know, over the last couple of months of the season were outscored even after they made those midseason moves. And that just isn't the hallmark of any other good team generally, which, you know, isn't to say, I mean, if we're looking forward, we shouldn't just say, mm. well, this is what last year's team did. And so this, we have to kind of look at the projections and who's going to be there, who wasn't there and who will be better and who'll be worse. But I think they are sort of starting from a much lower point than their AL leading record would lead you to believe. I think just a a ton of things went right for them this year for them to be as good as they were. And it was really cool that that happened and a fun story, but I wouldn't count on any of those things continuing. So 
I think they will have to overcome a lot of regression in in their clutchness, in their one-run record. Those just, historically speaking, aren't things that have held up from year to year, even when teams are just extraordinarily good at them in one season. So I, I like that we're disagreeing this much on, on this. Yeah, this is, you know. yeah very good. Uh, you're no longer my trusted partner. <laughs> I can't trust you after this Rangers pick. (laughs) I'm going to go with Cleveland. I think that most of the reasons that Cleveland has been good this year will continue to be the case next year. I think the division is still pretty ripe for the taking. They will have invincible Andrew Miller for a full season, which is really all you need for a championship team, clearly. And I don't see any really compelling reason to think that they'll be worse than they were if they get anything at all out of Michael Brantley next season, which I certainly wouldn't count on. That would be better than they got this year. So I think most of their important pieces are under control and fairly young and fairly productive, and I don't see any reason to doubt them. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. They were the next next team off uh, my board for pretty much the same reasons. Okay. All right. I'm going to go with, do you think Edwin Encarnacion resigns with Toronto? I mean, I would guess that one of the two huge sluggers that they are potentially losing would. So maybe he's the more likely. Yeah. I think he's the more likely too. And that's sort of why I'm picking Toronto. I think they get one of them back. And I think the one they get back is Encarnacion. And apart from that, like you can live with, I think Bautista's on the, on the back nine right now. And apart from that, Mm -hmm. Saunders is going to be a free agent. There's nothing they're losing that they can't replace. So I think that's just a scary lineup. I think that's a really solid rotation which is in the regular season, at least all you can ask for. I think Aaron Sanchez, once they, they take a limiter off him, is going to be pretty special. I think Stroman's going to bounce back, so I'm going to pick Toronto. Okay, don't disagree with that. My next pick, this is a tough one. I could see going with two of the three remaining teams here, but I think I will go with the Giants. I think they are a, a value pick this late in the draft. I hope. I hope that we have fallen prey to recency bias and the Giants were terrible in the second half and they had the ugly exit from the NLDS, but I think their problems are fixable. I think it's easy to forget that they were the best team in baseball in the first half, or at least record-wise, and bullpens are fixable. I think if you have to pick a problem with your roster, that's the best one to have, a shaky bullpen, which was their big issue down the stretch and, of course, in the playoffs. And that's the sort of thing that can fluctuate a lot from season to season. They still have a, a pretty good manager, one of the best players in baseball, and Buster Posey, and a lot of guys who should continue to be productive. So I'm hoping that odd year magic will kick in here. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a, a really solid starting rotation. They got the superstar in Posey. Right, um, full season of Matt Moore. Yeah, and, you know, healthy season ideally of, of Hunter Pence. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the weird thing about the bullpen is it was an outlier for how stable it was since 2010. Like there were yes. like four or five guys who were, who've been there since the, the first World Series title. And I think maybe if this is a kick in the pants to finally start turning that over a little bit, then then that'll do them some good. But yeah, I, I was going to say that's a good pick, but like there's not that much else to pick right now. <laughs> right. I'm going to pick the Mets yep. here. This is a, a Cindergaard slash healthy DeGrom slash healthy Mets. Yeah. Slash they remember that Michael Conforto is under contract pick. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I just like it. I'm picking the the Mets over Baltimore because I listened to the Ringer College Football Show uh-huh. and Mallory Rubin, who is a huge Baltimore Orioles fan, has been mis- mispronouncing Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> so this is done. T- and also in the, the candy shoot around we did, she she said that her best trick or treat candy was mounds, which is just <laughs> the most bizarre bullshit take. So like, <laughs> so I'm picking Cindergard and I'm also punishing Mallory a little bit by, by picking <laughs> the Mets over the Orioles here. Hasn't she suffered enough after no, the, the, shit, the no, Buck and Britain game? No, if, if somebody who somebody says, yeah, I'll, I'll take any candy in the world, mounds, like that person <laughs> cannot suffer enough. I can't dole out sufficient suffering. She's probably saving the good candy for a safe situation. All right. <laughs> so I agree that the Mets are the proper pick here. And I would say that this is maybe the most volatile, high variance team on this list. They could end up being one of the best teams in baseball. They could end up falling far out of the playoffs. There's just no way to know because it all depends on young pitching. And as we saw this season, who the heck knows what will happen, which of these guys will actually be healthy and have full seasons. Could be all of them, could be none of them. So it all depends on that. And of course, it depends in part on Ioannis Cespedes, who one imagines will opt out and they'd have a tough time replacing him if he doesn't resign. So this could really go either way. As much as I love that group of pitchers, like that is a very, very volatile group of position players. And yes. Even more so if Cespedes opts out. And that's like, that's a, I wonder if like Cespedes loves New York to that point, like to the point where he would have to sign a, uh, an under market deal. Yeah. He opts right. Out. Yeah. And of course, Neil Walker might move on too. So it, there's just a lot that's tough to project. Here, Neil so. Walker, who continues to be extremely underrated. Neil Walker is like, he might be the captain of the I like him more than everybody else does (laughs) (laughs) all-stars. All right. And with the obligatory 10th pick of the draft, I will take the Orioles. I think they probably should be here. And that has a lot to do with the division competition. It's just a, a tough place to start a season. The AL East, lots of good or competent teams in here. So it's that, I, you know, there are reasons to think that they might at least have a less disastrous rotation next year since Bundy and, and Gossman kind of came on in the second half, or maybe they will be better to start the season, but, you know, they're also possibly losing Weeders, possibly losing Trumbo. So who knows? I think they surprised a lot of people this year, and in previous years, it could happen again, but they have a, a pretty steep hill to climb. Yeah. All right, so let us move on to phase two of this draft. I guess I, I get the top pick this yeah, time, unless sure. you, you yeah, want to give yeah. me some other uh, 90s pitcher innings total over-under. So this time we are taking teams that finished outside the playoff picture in 2016, but we think they're more likely to make it in 2017. So with the top pick in this draft, I'm taking the Astros, who I believe were the best team in the AL West this season. And didn't make the playoffs, but I think if you look at the talent they have under control, I think they probably project to be the best team in that division next year. And maybe this is where we differ on that Rangers pick. I think they will have a tough time taking on the Astros, who played like we more or less expected the Astros to play in the spring after that really slow start to the season. And I think that's more indicative of who they are. 
So I'm taking the Astros. In fact, I might take the Astros over, gosh, I don't know, half of the teams that we just took in the first draft. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that if they get, I mean, Dallas Keuchel was hurt, Lance McCullers was hurt, and then even beyond that, I think they need another pitcher. I don't know where they're going to get it, but I mean, they're going to get a full season out of Alex Bregman. They're going to get a full season out of Yuli Esky-Guriel. It's a a really good team that I'm kind of surprised didn't make the playoffs this year. Yep. So I'm going to take the St. Louis Cardinals, I think. Yep. A full season out of uh, Alex Reyes will do them good. They'll just find a way. I mean, this is not exactly empirically sound analysis, but I would bet against... I would bet against the Cardinals uh, uh, missing the playoffs two years in a row under almost any circumstances. And I think this was a really good team that just sort of, you know, they, they wound up in the wrong division this year. If they were in the West, they would have, they probably would have made the playoffs this year. Agreed. And of course they will continue to have to contend with the Cubs, but yes, I, I think the, you can make a very, very compelling empirically based argument if you want to about the Cardinals. So I, I agree. I would have taken them there. And I suppose for my this next This is where it pickup, gets interesting. This yeah, is where it does. It, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a clear drop-off here, but I'll probably go with the Pirates, okay. I think, even though they are facing, again, two very good teams. I think a lot went wrong for them this year. Andrew McCutcheon's struggles, the inability to build a staff with Ray Searage Magic— They kind of sat on their hands last winter and seemed to hope that a lot of those rebuilding efforts would pay off. Perhaps they will be a little more proactive this winter. We don't know how much they have to spend, but they do have a lot of talented young players. Most of the outfield is great and young. They have guys like Josh Bell. They should get a better season from Garrett Cole. They should have a full season from Jameson Tyon and Glasnow. So there is a lot to like here. I think even though they have a tough road ahead of them in the Central, they'd probably be my pick for best team independent of quality of opponents. So I'll go with them on that basis. Yeah, that's a that's a good pick. I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners next. All right. Um, I think the the AL West is to a certain extent wide open, even as much as I like the the Rangers and as much as you like the Astros, or both of us like the Astros. Mm-hmm. They've got Tywin Walker. They've got Felix Hernandez. I think Kyle Seager is turning into is going from the Vince DiMaggio of his family to a superstar right now. Uh-huh. They, and you know Nelson Cruz is still under contract. Robinson Cano is still under contract. Like this team can flat out hit. And I think with a couple of they only just miss the playoffs this year. I think they're going to be right back in it next year. Isn't it uh, very important to you that the Mariners never make the playoffs? No, it's very important to me that the Mariners never make the World Series. Like okay. they're like this is something that I believe wholeheartedly that the Mariners will not make the World Series before we stop playing baseball. And which I think <laughs> will actually come sooner than a lot of people think. But <laughs> Okay, that's a separate podcast. Yeah. All right. With my next pick, I will take the Royals. Okay. We saw the Royals be quite good in August. I would say that maybe that was more like the team they would have been if they hadn't had so many injury issues this year. And they were missing Gordon. They were missing Moustakis. They were missing a bunch of guys who were integral to their playoff runs of the previous two years. They kind of have to make it happen in 2017 because half the team is going to free agency after that. I don't know whether that will add some urgency to the way the front office approaches this winter, whether they'll regard this as kind of a a last role that they want to supplement this core with guys for one more postseason run. 
So I'd bank on that, and just they were a, a very good team for two years. They ran into some some bad luck, some injury issues this year, and I think they probably have as good a chance as anyone of bouncing back. So Kansas City. Yeah, fair enough. I think they're a team that needs a lot of things to go right for them. I I don't know mm-hmm. if they've got the ability to really adjust on the fly. Well, I say that, and then I'm going to pick the Colorado Rockies next. <laughs> right, so, they were next like, on my list too. Actually. Oh, really? Good. I feel yeah. I feel a little less weird about about picking them. They just they were really good in the second half this year. Yeah, and they've got Arenado and DJ LeMahieu took a big leap forward, and they've started to develop pitching a little bit. Like I don't want to say that. <laughs> for fear of like breaking yeah. it but yeah. like it's i think the nos is going to be open for the taking next year and i think the the colorado is starting to put things together and i think if they don't make it next year maybe three or four years i i absolutely loved the top of their draft this year with uh, riley pine and robert tyler i think that that represents uh like they're starting to actually try to put together a unified approach to beating the atmospheric conditions at Coors Field. Uh-huh. So that gives me hope that grownups are running the organization now, which is not always the case in Colorado. No. Yeah, this is the first time that you would put the Rockies on sort of a, a sleeper list for a while now. Yeah. So I agree. And we're really getting into the weeds here. I wouldn't say I, <laughs> I feel great about any of the remaining teams on my board. I think I might go with the Rays. With this pick, which okay. I wouldn't say I feel confident in it, but I think the Rays were a lot better than their record indicates this year. If you look at, say, Baseball Prospectus's third order record, which takes into account kind of their sequencing or, you know, how they may have had some tough luck in, in stringing hits together or, or allowing them in bunches and their rough schedule in the AL East. According to that, they should have been basically a 500 team, and they were nowhere close to that this year. So I think there might be a bounce back coming there. I think you get Chris Archer, who many people were predicting as the AL Cy Young Award winner coming into this year, and he had a a very rough start to the season, sort of salvaged it in the second half. For all I know, they might trade him this winter, but if they don't, and they go into the year with what they have now. I think they at least have a shot. Again, it's the AL East, and they have to overcome a bunch of good teams here. So I don't feel great about this pick, but I don't feel great about any potential pick I could make here. Yeah, they weren't on my my list of 10, but having heard your argument, I regret that now. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm going to pick the the Yankees next. I think uh-huh. they've, you know, they're like the Cardinals. It's it's tough to pick against them twice in a row. I think that they had a little bit of bad luck with injuries. I think that Brian Cashman, like some of that talent is going to start to percolate to the surface this year. Clint Frazier and Dylan Tate and guys like that are, are still a couple years away, but you know, they just reloaded so much. They've got some salary flexibility. They could be a team that might overpay for somebody like Rich Hill in the off season. So I think they've, you know, if we're this far down the list, I'm going to bet on Brian Cashman and that financial might he can wield. Yeah. Makes sense. I think the Yankees are probably about as well positioned as an organization right now as, as almost anyone. Yeah. And this might be another, like I'm, I'm talking about that for next year, but really it's another two or three years down the road. Right. Yeah. But if we can look ahead two years and say, oh, this team will be good then, then there is at least a chance that they could beat that timeline and get there next year. So I think it's a smart pick. I I think it's probably too soon for them, but 
at this point, we are just picking from the optimist. best of the options available. I'm so, not an optimist. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether they sort of stick to their approach from this season, trading veterans and, and building up the farm system. At what point do they go back to being the Yankees and spending on free agents again? Maybe it's not till the, the big 2018 class when they'll have a, a bunch of guys off the books, but we'll see. All right. I think with my next pick, I will take the Diamondbacks. Okay. I don't feel great about it, but obviously they had a lot of things go wrong this year. As wrong as the Diamondbacks were about themselves heading into this year, I think we were all wrong about them too in that we all expected them to be competent, maybe not as good as they seemed to believe that they were based on their ridiculing of projections in the spring, but I don't think anyone would have projected them to be as bad as they were. No one, as bad as everyone thought the Shelby Miller trade was, no one thought that Shelby Miller would be going back to AAA. No one knew that AJ Pollock would be hurt and miss the whole year. So I think getting those guys back at some level of productivity, maybe Granky rebounds, maybe there is a better front office in place now, and, and it's hard to say what approach that front office will take, but Perhaps they will make some more adept moves than we've seen Arizona make lately. So all of that combines to make me pick them, not with a whole lot of enthusiasm, but yeah. that's where we are. Even looking at the roster they put out last year, that's not a 93 loss team. Like that's no. a that's a 500 team that had everything go wrong. And, right. you know, this this deep, they would have been one of the next one or two teams off my board, too. Yeah, I'm going to pick the Tigers. Okay. They are old as hell. Yes. And at this point I'm just betting on like the the expendables version of the of the Tigers <laughs> like they've got one one last run left in them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean we've been saying that for a while. We've been forecasting their demise. They came very close to making the playoffs this year. The only reason I didn't take them earlier was the comments that Alavila made recently that seemed to indicate that the team is kind of reigning in the spending. I think he used the words leaner and more efficient, which is yeah, probably just a, means they're going to take Miguel Cabrera on a diet or something. <laughs> like that. Right. Probably good words for a Tigers fan to hear in the long term, but I'm not sure if it will be for the purposes of this draft. We'll see. I don't I, believe that for a second, by the way. I think Mike Illich's fear of death will will propel yeah. this team to contention for at least one more season. Yeah, I mean, he has a, a long history of now, a long history of outspending Detroit's market size. So maybe he will continue to do that. And unless it's been a rough year for Little Caesars or something, then <laughs> why would he stop now? So, yeah, probably a, a smart pick. And in that division, there's less competition than there would be otherwise. So, yeah, makes sense. Have we each we've we've reached the end of this exercise? Yes, I think okay. so. All right, so we have concluded our draft now, and uh, someone can track this and let us know who is wrong about everything a year from now. Good. I so look forward to that. <laughs> and now we will focus on a 2016 story: the Cleveland Indians and their run to the American League pennant. I have just dialed a 614 area code, which can mean <laughs> only one thing. We are speaking to an Ohio resident. Oh, boy. His name is Rob Harvilla. He writes about music and tearing down the Jim Tomey statue for The Ringer. Hey, Rob, how you doing? I'm excellent. How are you? All right. What is your mental state, or, or more importantly, what is your emotional state? 
I'm still sort of in shock. You know, I'm still in shock from the Trevor Bauer game. I just can't believe we won that game. The Cleveland identity is sort of all wrapped up in the idea of not winning that game. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about finding the most bizarre possible way to lose and having your starting pitcher, like, drone himself off the mound <laughs> after two outs. It's sort of, that's, that's great. Like, that's genius as far as new way to lose. But we won somehow. I, I you know, I... I guess I'm embracing the idea that the Cavs championship sort of blew up this sad sack fatalist Cleveland mindset that I've had my entire life, you know, and I'm still clinging to it bizarrely, even in the face of the World Series. But I, I guess it's time to just treat this as any, any team with, you know, the same shot as anyone. So let me, you know, in the spirit of, of uh, Trevor Bauer uh, pitching on on a, a pool of blood and Ryan Merritt coming out of nowhere to to clinch the series, I want to run a couple scenarios by you. Okay. And you give me a yes or no as to whether or not you you would believe that this could happen in the World Series. All, All right. right. Hit me. So first, first up is Andrew Miller makes an emergency start in Game 7 and winds up beating either Clayton Kershaw or Jake Arrieta for, for the World Series. That's totally plausible. I mean, yeah, I was. I, I'm trying to stop myself from tweeting something like, "Why don't they make the whole airplane out of Andrew <laughs> Miller or something?" Like, yeah, like we, we should yeah. just have Andrew Miller pitch until he collapses. And, so I'm down for that, absolutely. All right, and next one, Brandon Geyer, who kills lefties, who has become bizarrely probably my favorite member of the Cleveland Indians, breaks the World Series record uh, with six home runs. Did you believe that? <laughs> Six is high. What what is the record? It's, the record's five. Yeah, I'll I'll do it. I'm in for everything. All right. Well, are you in for this? Trevor Bauer, uh, in advance of a game seven start, has his finger amputated and uses the stump to throw like a killer three finger Brown style knuckle curve. I'm assuming there's a rule against that. Is there a rule against that? I don't I don't see why they're amputation. I don't I don't I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> Certainly I don't think they've an, they've anticipated something like right, that. Right, yeah. And we know he was he was in favor of soldering it, so this isn't that much farther than that. Oh yeah, he's a total he's totally a gamer. He'd do it. Yeah, I believe that. Absolutely. I believe anything. This is it's so bizarre that I'm I'm prepared for anything at this point. So if someone told Trevor Bauer he could increase his spin rate by amputating a finger, yeah. I think he would be the first one with the knife. And I think his response would be something like, well, humanity's going to evolve in a way that they don't need their <laughs> pinky finger in the next, you know, couple hundred right. thousand years. So like, that would He's be the rationale. Yeah. <laughs> so would you feel better if you had had to suffer for your wins? Is it is what's making you so uneasy about this, how easy the run to the World Series has been? No, I don't think I need any more suffering per se. You know, it's just it's just such an odd thing to watch, to watch them not fail. You know, like I remember so vividly 1997, you know, and I was watching, you know, watching them lose the World Series from my dorm room. And like I walked out of the dorm room, like into the night and I walked over to the fitness center. Like I decided I was going to go like pump iron, like right then and there, except of course it was like 1130 at night or whatever. And it was closed. Like I don't. I was just so disoriented with rage and sadness, you know, and that has remained sort of the way, the prism through which I view the Cleveland Indians. To just not see it that way is is, is enough of a radical paradigm shift for me still. Are you making preparations, like if if you get home before the you know before the decisive game, to you know make sure that heavy objects are not within reach of where you're going to watch the game on TV? Are you boarding up windows at all? I'm really worried about that. To be honest with you, I think I busted up a remote when they lost to the Red Sox, like in the ALCS or something. 
Uh, I don't remember what year that was, but yeah, I, I am, I am not my best self when watching the Cleveland Indians. I believe my wife would attest to that, you know, and now that we've got a, a couple of young impressionable children, like I really need to figure out, like I just need to designate a pillow that I scream into, or I, <laughs> I, I need to look up anger management techniques, you know, but boarding up the house would probably be a, a wise investment. So which NL opponent will you be pulling for this weekend and why? You know, I was my initial impulse was to root for the Dodgers just because the Cubs all year have seemed manifestly a cut above everyone, you know. And I shared that with a few people, and they're like, oh, the Dodgers are pretty tough. Like, at this point, I don't know if it really matters. Like, if the Dodgers beat the Cubs, then that's scarier. You know, that's just as scary as the Cubs winning. So I, I, I'm in L.A. right now, and if the Dodgers do win, then there's, a, you know, a 10% chance that I can make it to a game. So I guess on that basis alone, I'll root for the Dodgers. But, you know, my dad, who's a life, lifelong Indians fan, he's always been really worried about a Cubs victory. Because correct me if I'm wrong, if the Cubs win, do the Indians then have the longest World Series drought on record? Is that true? Or is there somebody in between? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah, if you don't count the teams that have never won the World Series, then I think that's true. Okay, so yeah, he's always, you know, because I'm sort of rooted for the Cubs, because I like generally, because I like underdogs generally. And he's always been really opposed because if the Cubs ever win, then the Indians then become like the most futile for the longest period of time team in baseball and so I guess there is a certain poignancy to it just being Cubs Indians you know that's the most on the line and you know that's going to attract a great deal more media attention obviously like more people are going to be talking about it and it's just the most romantic possibility I guess if that's the right word and so I, I started out rooting for the Dodgers but now I'm sort of wavering and you know, whoever it is, I'll be equally terrified. Let me ask you about this, because this has been one of the defining images of the, the ALCS was LeBron and J.R. Smith and the rest of the, the Cleveland Cavaliers rooting from the luxury box. Are, is there a little, you know, like LeBron's a Yankee fan? You know? Yeah, yeah, right. I've never gotten too hung up on that stuff, but I think that, you know, first of all, LeBron can do no wrong in Cleveland for life at this point. You know what I'm mm. saying? If he rooted yeah. for the Yankees wholeheartedly from this point forward, nobody would care. I think that long ago we sort of gave up, you know, hoping that he would have coherent or consistent sort of other sports rooting interests. You know, like he's sort of like Drake in that way where you just whoever wins, LeBron is going to come out as being a lifelong fan of X. You know what I'm saying? And so... You know, I'm glad he's on board, and I'm, you know, I'm glad he's there just to remind Cleveland fans that we do win something occasionally, or we won one thing. But you know, I'm not too hung up on on his rooting interests at this point. Well, just to stick with that real quick, is there a small part of you that's disappointed that it can't be the Giants that you can't get the Cleveland versus Bay Area thing going again? It is. It is really attractive notion to think that we could go down to them three one and then win. Like, yeah, I, I totally get that. And you know, and the Taylor Swift thing is sort of an interesting subplot there. And we have family in San Francisco who'd be fun to sass about this. But yeah, that would have been a good time. But again, like, there's this. There's something about the Cubs that's so perfect. You know, it's just sort of a storybook ending, whether it's terrible or it's awesome. Like, this, it, it just seems faded in a really bizarre sort of way. Can you make any kind of case that would convince an impartial observer that the Indians deserve the victory more than the Cubs, that they have suffered more, that it would make more people happy if they were to win? Oh, geez, I don't know. It, deserve is such a strange word there. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> I think... I guess I would make the case just what do you think the Venn diagram is of Cubs fans and Bulls fans? Like I would sort of drag yeah. the Jordan years into it. You know what I'm saying? Like 
what what makes what always made Cleveland sort of uniquely sort of pathetic is that there was nobody to fall back on. Like now we have the Browns who are terrible. He has like a control group or whatever, but it's we never had anything to fall back on unless you wanted to count Ohio State. And so in that way, even though the Cubs drought has been significantly longer, like Chicago fans in general have had other stuff, you know, with which to entertain themselves in the intervening years. And that has not been true for Cleveland until very recently. I, I think that's a good way to do it. The other thing is like, this just does, it feels too easy if the Cubs win the world, like if 108 years of, of, uh, of futility and all of a sudden Theo Epstein, essentially like they get the team together uh, one year and then the next year they win 103 games and win it all. Like they need to, they need to go through a little more advert, like from a narrative standpoint, there, there hasn't been as, enough uh, set up yet. Well, it's like major league, right? Like at the end of major, the first major league, they win what? Just a penance. But like it, in the second one, you learn that they got swept in the World Series and yeah. they won the World Series. Like, yeah, there's got to be intermediary steps there. I totally agree. All right. Well, we will be thinking of you this weekend. We will be watching to see. Checking the police blotter. I appreciate that. <laughs> Keep me in your prayers. Yeah, we will do that. And once we find out who the Indians will be playing next week, Michael and I will be recording a World Series preview, which will be up Monday instead of our usual Tuesday slot. So, Rob, good to talk to you, and best of luck. Thank you very much. Thanks for talking. And, Michael, also good to talk to you. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will be back in just a few days. 